1: Right now on Fast, Hardware Hangover. PC sales plunge as a pandemic spending spree grinds to a halt. I mean, worries about a global slowdown, pick up steam. The drop for Apple, even worse than the rest. How big of a headwind is this for the tech trade? Plus, energy, excitement, chatter about a potential mega deal between Exxon and Pioneer, giving the oil and gas stocks a lift. Would a tie-up of this size boost the prospect for a wave of M&A in the sector? And later, Hollywood's Mario Party, the animated film crushing expectations here and around the world. Can Super Mario jumpstart the studios and theater chains ahead of the summer movie season? I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money Live from the NASDAQ Market site. On the desk tonight, Tim Seymour, Courtney Garcia, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. We start off with two big red flags from the tech sector. First, there's Taiwan Semi dropping 1.4% after posting its first monthly revenue drop in nearly four years last month. While full quarter sales were up from last year, they were still at the low end of previous guidance. And then there's this, PC shipments in Q1 plunging nearly 30% from a year ago. Apple among the biggest losers, seeing its numbers drop more than 40%. The new sending shares down as much as 2.8% today. They close the day off by more than a percent and a half. So what could these headlines portend for big tech as we get ready to kick off earnings season? Let's bring in Steve Kovac for more on the latest. Steve, I, I feel like we sort of knew this was going to happen, but maybe this underscores that's sort of what we
2: knew. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Mel, and this has been happening since last summer. So look, PC demand fell dramatically in the first quarter of this year. That's according to this new report we've been talking about all day from the research firm IDC. And that big number, PC shipments down 29% year on year. That's for the most recent quarter. But even worse for Apple, Mac sales down more than 40% for the quarter, even though it launched new Mac models back in January. Now, who knows how much worse this could have been without those new models. Also, this is the trend we've been seeing since last summer. PC demand has just collapsed after growing like gangbusters earlier in the pandemic. Apple, for example, was setting max sales records nearly every quarter for two years straight. What what came all, excuse me, all that came to a screeching halt, though, as max sales collapsed 29% in the December quarter of last year. And it's just going to get worse from there. And this report impacts other suppliers like Intel and AMD. And it's a bad sign for Microsoft's Windows licensing business, which was also down significantly in the December quarter. But Apple is less reliant on PC sales. So let's put this all in perspective. It's the iPhone, more than 50 percent of overall sales. That's what you got to pay attention to. We'll get earnings on May 4th, though, to see if it was able to maintain demand for the iPhone into this year after all those production problems we saw last fall, Mel. Is there an upgrade cycle to come also in terms of Mac, Steve? People might be, you know, holding back and buying a new one. Well, yeah, well, that's not really happening now because that Mm -hmm. happened in the first two years of the pandemic. They released all those new models with those uh, its own homemade chips when they got rid of Intel. So basically the almost the entire line of Macs have been refreshed. So all anyone who is going to buy one of those refreshed Macs bought one, you know, Mm -hmm. a year or two ago.
1: All right, Steve. Thanks. Steve Kovac. All right. So Steve also mentioned the impact potentially on Microsoft if you sort of like tease this IDC report out. Apple and Microsoft, 13% of the S&P 500, Dan. This is why we hear about this. It's funny.
3: This is a really tough headline a few weeks before they're going to report earnings again, because I think Steve just said 55% of Apple's sales really are iPhone. And when you think about it, in the last quarter they just reported less than 70% of their sales were PCs. They gained a lot of market share over the last few years. I think that's probably the better part of the story for Apple. And if they're losing or they're coming down year over year at mid single digits or something like that, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, down 40% year over year, but if you think about it in market share share terms, it's not that big of a number, especially relative to the revenues. All that being said, if you think about the rest of the supply chain that goes into the smartphones, these are very similar supply chains and all the stuff that we're going to talk about with Taiwan Semi and Samsung, that's probably a bigger issue for the smartphone business. And those are the things that are really going to drive the stock here. So this is a tough headline to trade off of, in my opinion, weeks before the earnings report. Yeah, Yeah, we're not trading Apple on MacBooks. I think that's Mm -hmm. what Dan's saying.
4: You know, I I get it. We knew where PCs were going to be. We knew where Apple um, really has pulled forward a lot of demand. But it's really more, I think, on iPhones. It's on services. And the question for for Apple, which, which has outperformed the S&P by 8% even after this pullback today since the beginning of March. So, so we're talking about is this a big day for Apple? I mean, when you consider the outperformance, I think the, the reaction was probably in line as expected, maybe even better than expected. Um, I think it's really just about the pull forward. But I, I want to watch services. I want to watch the parts of the annuity business because it gets back to, should you be paying the same multiple for apple today or, or in some cases uh, you know a slight discount because i think they are growing earnings than you were a year a year and a half ago absolutely not and and that's a world where also apple did a lot of great things with financial engineering. They did a lot, of, you know, they issued long bonds. They paid back more stock. They, so uh, again, I think this isn't a crazy app. It's part of the stew. It's a piece of the mosaic, but it's, it's not to trade off. I like that stew and mosaic stew, in wow. the same
1: sentence. So spicy, there, wasn't canash, it? Yeah. Throw all that in. Um, in terms, though, of, of Tim mentioned the annuity business, should we regard services as an annuity business when the macro is a little dicey? I mean, are people really going to renew every single app, every single service that they've been buying on their iPhone when they're trying to cut back?
5: possibly not, but that is going to be stickier than people pushing off buying new iPhones. I think that's a lot easier to do. I mean, it takes us months for us to cancel our subscriptions. I think a lot of people know that, unfortunately. Um, and I do think when you look at Apple, we've talked a lot about can what is the valuation justified right now? And I think bigger picture, it's not just Apple that you want to look at. When you look at the mega cap 8 right now, the forward P.E. of those is about 28 times earnings, where if you look at the S&P 500, it's about 17 times earnings. But if you strip out those eight companies, it's only 15 times earnings. So talk about how expensive these companies are and I think this earnings season that's really going to come to light and later this year it's going to become more and more important for you to really look at valuation these things are very still expensive
1: but guy but guy these are supposed to be defensive they've got cash on their balance sheets this is where you want to be nobody's going to give up their iPhones even if times are tough right
6: yeah it's a good thing that Apple and Microsoft are not a big part of the S&P 500 otherwise woo, we'd have a problem <laughs> no I, I love that that sound in your voice, you're trying to wind me up here on a Monday. I'm not going to take debate, but I will say this. I mean, people, it's, this speaks, in my opinion, it doesn't necessarily speak to Apple necessarily, but it speaks to global demand for different very high priced pro- products. And are we in an environment where people are going to pay up? Or are they just going to say, you know what, my old iPhone is fine, my old PC is fine? And they're not going to do that upgrade cycle that everybody talks about. And in that environment, Apple trading at 26 times next year's numbers with, again, mid to single digit revenue growth, mid to single digit EPS growth, declining margins, albeit strong margins, but declining nonetheless. It just doesn't make sense. By the way, the stock was $125, you know, three and a half or so months ago, stopped at a level we thought it could get to. And we've bounced nicely. It bounced a lot more than I thought. But this stock, if you look over the last year and a half or so, has been, Melissa, upper left to lower right noted
1: guy but I have a question about the consumer I mean, we talk about the consumer in terms of the high-end consumer the consumer that's willing to pay a hundred plus dollars for a pair of yoga pants a lululemon and we say okay that consumer is gonna fare well and so why should we be concerned I mean if this is a high price point product which it is and we've been saying that the high-end consumer is still doing okay why should we be so concerned about them saying you know what we're not going to upgrade Tim
4: Well, you know, if you own an iPhone 12, uh, you know the 14 is probably something you want. But but I I think we're getting to a place where, and I'm not one of these people that has felt Apple needs to continue to innovate. But I I I think that the refresh. Uh, dynamic isn't quite. Uh, I think the demand and the you know the FOMO isn't quite there. I think we we have a place where we're also convinced that Apple's kind of created this hardware as a service dynamic. It just gets back to where we all are here. This is this is a stock that it's not going to get away from you on the upside. Uh, it's really what I think, and we've been waiting for that. I've been waiting for that 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 real uh, commentary that says we had our pull forward and we see some some demand weakness, and we haven't heard it. When we hear it, the smartphone it's going to be a big deal. We've heard it from some of the We're going to talk chips in a second. But, I mean, you know, that's where you'll get some read through. Uh, But this isn't the headline on Apple. I just think that Apple has owned the market because rates have gone lower and people have been defensive.
3: Yeah, I would just say, like, listen, if you put this together as a bit of a uh, mosaic or a pastiche or something like that, let's do. No, but if if you were to see, like, China sales weaker than expected, if you were to see iPhone sales weaker than expected, if you were to see services uh, sales weaker than expected, those would be the things that would send that stock back to 140 or something like that. We see that. Well, I I do. Listen, I think you're... going to see and you know it's interesting they're reporting um i think on may 4th or something like that a little bit later than they normally do here and there's just so many cross currents as it relates to what's gone on um with china with supply chains the costs associated with it we're starting to see inflationary readings kind of tick back up and it's interesting you know i was looking at the december quarter just a bit ago they bought back 25 billion or returned 25 billion dollars to shareholders in just that quarter and when you think about it that stock was down traded really badly this is one of the last big nasdaq stocks to buy Bottom. I think it made a 52-week low in the first week of January, and it was down 15% in Q4 of last year. Now it's up, what, 26%, 27%. percent be interesting to see how much they bought back in, in, in an environment where the rate situation is different, right, the cost of capital in general. When they were able to raise – tons of cash oh, they were fed, whatever they were, they were like way like bank. and this company has been, literally since Tim Cook insti- uh, instituted the cash return in 2012 they bought back I think like a half a trillion dollars worth of stock which is truly astounding which is good for investors. It is good, but I'm just saying it'll be interesting. Put. I'll just say in this quarter, it'll be interesting to see. But you can't borrow well, at zero and buy back stocks yeah. right. anymore. Right. Right. That right. was the best that, use of capital. Smart. That was smart thing to right. do. Yes. Uh, that's, that's, kind of, point. that's my point. And it'll be interesting to see what they did in a quarter where rates are much higher and the stock was uh, right. much higher.
1: Turning now to Tesla, shares closing well off their lows of the day, down about a third of a percent. The stock had been down nearly 5% at lows. This after the company slashed prices across its EV models for the fifth time this year and it's, what, only April now? Um, It's coming about a week before tougher EV tax credit rules are set to take effect. Our Phil LeBeau joins us now with all the details. Phil.
7: Melissa, this is one of those moves that surprised nobody. In fact, if you talk with people who track the company on Wall Street, almost everybody says the same thing. Yeah, we figured they were going to be cutting prices, weren't sure they were going to be doing it this soon in the second quarter, but that's what Tesla has done. So let me recap this again. As you mentioned, this is the fifth time that Tesla has slashed prices here in the United States this year. Cumulative, G- going back to January, the Model Y prices have come down about 20%. Model 3 prices have come down about 11%. So it raises two questions. One, how much will this stoke demand, which is important because the company, as you take a look at their annual deliveries, it, it delivered, what, 420,000, 422,000 vehicles in the first quarter. The target is for $1.8 million this year. It d- does this really juice the market? Remember, wait times had been dropping for both the three and the Y. And then the other question is, what does this do for gross auto margins? I realize that we're not going to get the Q2 auto margins number until well into August. But if you take a look at where they have been trending and the expectation for the first quarter, which, by the way, we get in a couple of weeks. That 20.5% is the line in the sand. When I've talked with analysts, almost all of them say the same thing. You go below 20.5%, that's going to put some pressure on shares of Tesla. Above that, then it's probably a, a far different story. And as you mentioned, Melissa, the new EV tax credit rules go into effect Next week, next Tuesday, as a matter of fact, that's when all of the automakers will report to the Treasury Department. They'll say this model is eligible for $3,750 or $7,500 or nothing at all. And we already know that there are some Tesla models that will not qualify for the full $7,500, including the standard range Model 3, which is the one that they've cut the prices by another $1,000. So this is Tesla saying to buyers, in essence, Okay, you may not get the full tax rebate, but we believe that these lower prices are going to attract buyers. And that's what they're doing here.
1: So how does that stack up, Phil? I mean, when you take a look at the closest competitor to the Model 3, which is what, the Bolt? I mean, does that qualify for the tax credit?
7: The Bolt EUV likely does qualify for the tax credit. But then when you look at a vehicle like the Hyundai Ioniq 5, which we haven't gotten the final word on that, but those are manufactured in Korea. Odds are they don't qualify for any type of a tax credit. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's this is every month we will get this report, Melissa, and we'll be able to say, okay, this these number of vehicles for this manufacturer qualify for X dollars, whether it's 3750 or 7500.
6: All right,
1: Phil, thanks, Phil Lebeau.
7: You
6: bet,
1: Guy. What's your take on this?
6: Well, I mean, they've been t- to Tesla's defense, not that I'm an apologist, but I will say they have said for a while, probably since last fall, that margins would come down. Um, that line of demarcation, Phil says 20 and percent. My instincts suggest it'll probably break that line. I think the legacy automakers are around 16 percent. So I don't think they going get there, but I think 18 and a half, 19 is probably in the cards, just given everything we're seeing in terms of the consumer and the economy in terms of the stock. I'll be the first to say it, and I've said it dozens of times now. I thought the right thing to do into earnings last quarter was to sell the stock. That was incorrect. Subsequently, it traded right to the 200-day moving average. I think it was 220 or so. And it got down to that 165 level, almost to the screws. But this bounce has gotten us less than we got last time. And I think that, that sort of, again, upper left, lower right is intact. The stock is still down... 55% from the November 2021 high, and it feels as if that 165 level's in play again, Melms.
1: Yeah. Tim?
4: Uh, first of all, guy, we're pulling for you on the SAT. Just uh, everyone can see his SAT books in the well, sidelines. What did I, I do luck. now? What Good happened? Luck. No, you've got the SAT book oh right God. next to you. So like SAT, I'm just he's had it there for, pulling forever. for you. For You I, you know, it's interesting. There, there are some interpretations of Tesla's price cuts as, as they are bullish um, and that Tesla is only trying to expedite the demise of the internal combustion engine. They're really trying to put to the screws, use Guy's term, to the, com- the competitors yeah. who, who can't handle price cuts um, even as much as Tesla can. And there's, you know, Piper had a chart out there. It's an interesting chart that it says every time wait times get below four to six weeks on the Model 3, they start cutting prices. Um, and they they do this because they're, they're playing offense, not defense. Uh, yeah, again, an interpretation. I'm not... Chasing this. I, I like every. I, I think this stock's wildly expensive, and I think uh, there will be some demand. But but you know, Tesla is so far ahead that they can probably push the market around.
1: And you could be in the, You could be in both camps simultaneously. Yep. You can believe that Tesla's on the offensive, but you know, but still, they're going to cut. They're going to uh, you know be overvalued and not worth buying.
5: Yeah. Yeah. There's two ways to look at them cutting prices. One is because they're not getting up demand and they have to cut prices, which is one opinion. The other is that, um, yeah, they're on the offense. And they want to cut prices here because they can and they have the margins to do so. And it's going to be extremely um, really an issue for their competitors. Think of like a Lucid or Rivian who is burning cash right now and they don't have the cash to burn, whereas Tesla does. I think it's going to put them in a position where they can probably put some of their competitors out a lot quicker. I think that's probably part of the reason of what they're trying to do.
3: I'm hard pressed to see like like the bullish version of four price cuts. If we were talking about Apple, we just spent five minutes talking about Apple Mm -hmm. and we talked about four price cuts for like some of their premier products to kind of, it would just be another conversation. It would just be a totally other conversation. And so to me, when you think about cars, you think about this looming recession we have, you think about what it costs to finance a purchase of this stature now for most people, it's just, it can't be a good thing. And I'll just say this, you know, that chart, if they could pull up a five-year chart, this is still I know that a lot of you guys are emboldened by the 50% rally that it's had off of its lows in January. This is still one of the worst looking charts in the entire stock market. I'm just gonna tell you that right now. It's a series of lower highs. It's a series of lower lows. The company is cutting prices. The CEO of the company is doing five different things at once. Literally, he's a CEO of five different companies at once. And like, if we do have this recession that everyone's expecting here, um, I just don't know how a company like this is gonna avoid some of the issues we might be talking about eight price cuts this year
1: but the, on the fifth price cut this price cut the stock didn't do
3: much it was down five percent this morning
1: yeah but then so it recovered. I, I mean test. the
3: recovery i know but yeah. i mean they come in for it i mean it's it's there, there's a bit of a cult falling Mel. i don't know if you follow the stock a little bit over the last 10 years i mean <laughs> like 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 they're, 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 it's not like every other stock in the market there's like a different thing going on and i don't know if you know this but the ceo of the company who's also ceo of twitter mm-hmm. he changed his name on twitter today oh yeah what should we call it? Where are we going with it? Well, them? it's Harry, and then it's B, O, and there's a line, a horizontal line of the O. I don't know what that does to the O, the pronunciation L-Z. That's what he is on Twitter right now. That's the CEO Not of one of the largest one, market cap companies in the world, and is he's messing around with the other company.
1: Thank you for spelling it out. Yes. Rather than saying it. Yeah. Folks at home, get out your pen and paper. Well, just check it out down, on Twitter. See what it spells. Yeah. Uh, coming up, could there be a mega energy deal in the works, Exxon eyeing Pioneer for what could be its biggest acquisition in nearly 25 years? What it means for the sector straight ahead, plus a soaring semis. Micron topping the tape today after one competitor cuts production. So will the chip trade keep surging? We'll debate that when Fast Money returns.
0: The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. And a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower? The ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
8: Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place?
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. Pioneer Natural Resources, the third best performer in the S and P today, after the Wall Street Journal reported that Exxon Mobil has held early talks to acquire the company. CNBC has reached out to both firms for comment. The deal would be Exxon's biggest since buying Mobil back in 1999. Speculation about a deal helping the OIH gain more than a percent today, even as crude oil prices fell. Guy, do you think the backdrop is there for a wave of M and A?
6: Yeah. And I think Tim would probably agree. I think he stated as much. I mean, the balance sheets of so many of these companies are in a position where they can do things like this, or conversely, they can use their stock uh, as, as currency and do it that route. I happen to think the administration, the current administration will lose their collective minds if something like this happens. I mean, last I looked, Pioneer was in the shale fracking business, which I'm sure is frowned upon. But You know what? It speaks to this underlying strength of the industry. And I I don't know if necessarily this will happen. I think if it did happen, the deal would be north of $65 billion, by the way. But I think it's noise. But I think that noise is justified given what's going on in the space.
4: For sure. I, I, I want to believe that energy companies are, are thinking differently than they have at other cycles. And, and I also think that um, I don't think this deal is going to get done right here. I, 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 you know, look, unless they were really sloppy and I wonder why they'd be leaking this out there, how they could get it out there. But I mean, Pioneer doesn't trade at a discount. And typically when you've seen these takeout kind of a place, you've seen the targets be trading at some discount to NAV, not a 40 to 50 percent premium to NAV. Uh, we know that the Permium assets are, are are blue chip and they're some of the best. And if you If you're if you're a PINAT shareholder, this is what you've been waiting and you've been holding PXD because this is a takeout play. Um, Will there be others? Yes. Um, I think they're going to wait for the cycle to pull back a little bit.
1: Yeah. Courtney, what do you think of this uh, potential deal?
5: Yeah, I agree. I think it's too early to say that this deal is going to happen, right? Because I mean, even in the, the news that came out, right? I mean, this was kind of a, a whisper deal. They're saying it probably won't happen until later this year or next if it happens. But I think realistically, you look at somebody like an Exxon, a lot of your energy companies, they had record profits last year. They did really well, better than they have done in the last decade. And they have done these large mergers in the past. So yes, I think whether this deal happens or not, I think this is probably bigger picture. There's going to be probably somebody they're scooping up or somebody they're trying to scoop up. Whether it's Pioneer or not, I think it's going to the question
1: all right there's a lot more fast money to come here's what's coming up next
9: one semi's pain is another one's gain. micron heading higher after a fellow tech giant cuts production but can the move higher last plus get ready for bank earnings our next guest says it may soon be time for the big lenders to pay up the deposit details ahead You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this.
0: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration,
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. Micron topping the tape today soaring 8% after rival Samsung announced it was slashing memory chip production. Analysts say the cuts could help the industry work down excess supply and set itself up for recovery in the second half of the year. Uh, We saw others uh, in related industries also um, gain on this report, Dan.
3: It's a t- it's an a interesting headline, right? So you right. got this glut. The whole industry yeah. is acknowledging it, right? But then you see, you know, Samsung and Taiwan Semi traded kind of poorly after they kind of had their announce, And then we have Western Dig and we have Micron, the clear right. beneficiaries, assuming that prices go up because inventory is cleared out. But I guess the backdrop is going back to what we were talking about in the A block, is that maybe we are having a consumer electronics slowdown across the board. So think they in think inventory
1: of- and there's still no, not enough demand to take up that It
3: could, it, it could be, which level. would still be a good thing you know what I mean correct so uh, you know again I know we were talking about Micron after they reported um, a couple weeks ago technically looks pretty decent i mean the semis in general tim's been talking about it i think that the outperformance i think in q1 is clearly noted especially as an early cycle sort of play but there's a lot of cross currents right now and i think the fundamentals are clearly you know I, I mean they're not that clear actually at the point the technicals look pretty good
4: well the, clearly expectations are priced in uh, that we're going to get a rebound and and that the cyclicality and how you buy them and this is what you do and you, you know Taiwan Semi, the other side of it today, I mean, their numbers weren't that great. And Taiwan Semi, who a lot of people, and they largely had guided to a second half 23 inflection point, or a real pickup in demand, now that's being pushed out. I mean, the, the numbers I saw, what, down 19% Q1, uh, quarter over quarter, uh, down 4% year over year. 23 is still going to be a down year. And, and maybe we haven't hit that bottom yet. So that, that those are the conflicting. It's nice to see inventor- inventory taken out. It's nice to see price rationalization and, and the biggest players doing what they do. Uh, but maybe things aren't quite as good as people priced in. And that's what Taiwan said. To- you you want any chance to buy the stock on weakness. The only caveat to that is if Taiwan semi turns into China risk. But right now, that's a stock everyone should want to own, um, and they should probably want to own it somewhere around here, which is 16 times. But I think you can probably get it cheaper because I just think semis have run so far. What's the China risk in Taiwan semi in your view? What could the, what could Beijing do? I, I just think at at some point it's it's treated as if it could be in the way of China, and and at times when when we were also um, painting Taiwan semi in the. U.S. from the CHIPS perspective, from the CHIPS Act, um, seen as at least I think there are people in Washington that see Taiwan semi um, certainly not as a company that would be first friendly to the U.S., but rather China. So I think at times we've seen this stock have a discount put on it around China.
1: All right. options traders betting the Micron rally has legs. Mike Co joins us with the with the action. He's on the fast line tonight. Mike.
6: Yeah, so Micron Technology, we saw 2.8 times the average daily call volume in this one. It was actually one of the top 10 most active single stock options in contract terms, at least. And the busiest contracts were the weekly 67 strike calls. We saw over 20,000 of those trading for about 27 cents. Buyers of those obviously betting that the big bounce that we saw today could continue through the end of the week. And the second most active contract, the -the at-the-money 64 strike calls. So a lot of bullish bets being seen on the wake of this news.
1: All right. Mike, thanks. Mike Coe for more options action. Be sure to tune into the full show. That is Friday, 530 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, big bank earnings right around the corner. and Our next guest says it could be time for them to pay up. We'll be joined by former FDIC chair Sheila Baer for her take on how the banking crisis will impact regional results. Don't go anywhere. Much more Fast Money right after this.
9: Get your trades to go with the Fast Money podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this.
1: Welcome back to Fast Minding. Another check on the markets today. Stocks closing well off the lows of the day as investors await more inflation data this week. The Dow jumping 100 points, notching its seventh positive session in eight. The S&P eking out a small gain up a tenth of a percent. And the Nasdaq just barely closing out in the red. Well, bank stocks higher across the board today as the countdown begins for the kickoff of earnings season. Friday, we get Wells Fargo, Citi, BlackRock, JP Morgan, and PNC. Next week, we'll hear from regionals. And based on what we saw last month, those numbers could be quite ugly. Our next guest fears another handful of banks will likely go belly up before the end of the year. Sheila Baer is a former FDIC chair. She held the post during the 2008 financial crisis. Sheila, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Um, when the regional start reporting, what is the the one thing on their balance sheets that you'll be looking for, which will tell you yeah. whether or not there's going to be more trouble ahead?
10: Well, I think uh, <laughs> so everybody's focused on their HTM and their level of uninsured deposits. I, I do th- I don't think this is a problem unique with regional banks. There's been a lot of uh, language around this. I think the vast majority of regional banks, the vast majority of all banks are just fine, but there are a handful that have high, still have high reliance on uninsured deposits. Although that's changing, uh, we're seeing some of that readjust and, and convert into insured, and they've got a lot of HGM. Uh, they have a lot of CRE too. I think the CRE is going to be a focus for for all banks and a need for better clarity, perhaps, around what's within that CRE, how much of it is office um, exposure, which is which uh, could get ugly.
1: Um, there's a number that was thrown out by the current FDIC chair at the end of last year, or maybe it was the beginning of this year, in a speech, and he said that there's in, combined unrealized losses right. for available for sale and held to maturity, um, the unrealized losses total $620 billion at the end of right. uh, 2022. How should we think about that number in terms of, yeah. you mentioned, the vast majority of banks are fine in terms of concentration yeah. and right. where the where that stands right now? Right.
10: So it's not a problem to have unmarked losses in your hold to maturity portfolio if you have the attention the intention and the ability to hold them to maturity you won't i mean they're going to be low yielding assets so it'll be a you know economic losses but in terms of eroding capital uh, there should not be if you can hold them to maturity you can redeem them at par and so banks that have stable uh, funding uh, a lot of insured deposits loyal uninsured deposits um, long-term debt it's not a problem they can't hold them to maturity I do think there needs to be more rigor, particularly among the auditors, in terms of scrutinizing what has been put into hold to maturity to make sure the bank really does have both the intention and the the ability to hold them to maturity. Obviously, that was not the case with the Silicon Valley Bank.
1: You mentioned commercial real estate, and I think a lot of people are really focused on that. Not only did these banks extend a lot of loans, but the assets are worth less. And so how do you think about this problem um, at this point in the cycle?
10: Yeah, so I think certain segments, like multifamily, we need more housing. So I'm I'm thinking that's, uh, you know, I don't think you can't group all CRE together. Uh, A couple of things, there's refinance risk. There's a lot of it that's going to be refinancing over the next few years. So uh, the ability uh, of the borrower to be able to refinance at a rate that's affordable with with rates much higher now, uh, I think we should think about that. Again, we need more transparency, uh, the big banks, too, about what's, what's office. CRE is a big category. Some of it's just fine. Some of it, you know, office, especially in urban areas, is, is presumably under significant distress. So we need no clarity about what, what that looks like. But CRE, uh, though it's a big percentage of bank lending, the office component of that is much less. And if banks are properly reserved against losses, uh, you know, these are risks that can be managed. But, but I do think we need more transparency around what's in those CRE portfolios.
5: Hey, Sheila, this is Courtney here, and thanks for joining us. Sure. Um, so there's been this question of do the banks need to raise interest rates, right, or raise their deposit rates in order to yeah. um, really make it fair for what's happening with interest rates right now? And I guess my question is, how much of that do you think will happen, especially with the bigger banks right now, who I think a lot yeah. of people are looking at more as safety than your regional banks, and are they going to get away <laughs> with lower deposits because they're the safer option right now? Um, yeah. Whether it's the case or not, I'm just curious what your take on that would be.
10: Yeah, no. So I think this, 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 the earnings for the big banks, the earnings should be pretty good for this quarter. But I think the pressure to raise uh, deposit rates is is there. And so I think in the second quarter, you're going to see a lot more compression of interest rate margins. You're there's had, they're getting a lot of competition from many market funds right now. Some of that is healthy. Some of it, I think, is distorted because the Fed is providing massive, (laughs) you know, uh, massive returns to money market funds through their uh, overnight reverse repo facility. It's basically the equivalent of a a bank reserve account that the Fed created. Money market funds are heavy users, nice, generous returns. Uh, That is creating an uneven playing field, I think, for banks, because banks do have regulatory requirements for safety net programs like reserve accounts, and money market funds don't. So... That's something the Fed should address. I think they should lower the rate that they're paying on the reverse repo facility now, uh, and that could help ease pressure. But that said, those interest rates on deposits need to come up. It's the right thing to do, but it's also, you know, the the competition's going to force it. But still, it's not a problem. Loan rates should still be higher. They'll still, still should be able to make a healthy margin narrower. But, uh, but again, with the vast majority of the banks, I don't think it's going to be a problem.
1: Sheila, always great to speak with you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Nice being here. Sheila Baer, um, what are you expecting from the big banks guy? Because when I hear deposit rates will have to go, you know, savings rates, CD rates, whatever it is, they have to go up. I hear NIMS go down.
6: I'm not sure. Listen, I'm not sure the big banks are going to pay more. interest. I, you know, they're in a position now where people are going to say, you know what, I'll forego a percent, a percent and a half for the perceived safety of being in a J.P. Morgan, you know, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, City, as opposed to some of these regional banks. So. Yeah, they should do a lot of things, banks. I get it. I mean, in the, in the, in the real world, they should raise rates for people. I just don't think it's going to happen. Even if it does happen, let's just say, the environment that banks find themselves in is challenging, to say the least. I mean, I think that regulation is coming whether they like it or not. The economy is slowing whether they like it or not. And I think their earnings potential is gonna be impacted by all that. So this quarter might be fine. I think guidance is clearly what you wanna hear and I don't think it's gonna be particularly good. Yeah, it's funny.
3: we're gonna keep going back to this commercial real estate thing, right? And, and we're gonna talk about the refinancing, we're gonna talk about this wall of stuff, and we're gonna talk about the weakness and then some of the dynamics on the backside of the pandemic. I'm looking at a chart right here, this is from that they just put it out, they just tweeted out commercial mortgage holders by firm type, excluding multifamily. When you think about this, 61% is held by banks, uh, 13% held by life insurers, 8% held by REITs, and then there's a few others. When you look at the damage that has been done in the banks, let's say the XLF is down about 20% since its highs in February. You look at the KRE, the regional banks, they're down 35% or something like that. Then you look at these life insurers. We talked about them a little bit. What the heck's going on there? I mean, they look like they just fell off the cliff. And then the REITs, and we've talked about a bunch of these. They look like they're going out of business. So, like, for some reason, you know what I mean? Something's being priced right here. Now, into the print, and we talked about this last week, these are not great presses, right, Into into earnings season because they are, uh, you know, discounting a lot of bad news. We just don't know what comes next or so. And, and I guess what I would say with the large banks, they're trying to put in a little bottom here. If they were to rally out of these things, I think you do want to sell them into the late spring and summer. Look, the the,
4: the, the G-SIBs are the ones you want to own because their balance sheets are, are in good shape. And and the, the problem is they're just not cheap enough. Um, I, I like I own banks and I, so I own City, Bank of America and JP and I'm not going anywhere and I wish I'd been more tactical and traded them around a little bit. But um, I, I, we know that net margins, interest margins have peaked. Um, we know that net interest income in Q1 was down. It wasn't down uh, dramatically. We know also, by the way, the other side of this is bond prices were up one to two percent in Q1. I mean, this will help those securities portfolios. But if you look at the g they're trading at about seven and a half to eight times. Um, uh 24 earnings where historically they're usually around 10 price a tangible book 1.1 versus 1.3 is that enough of a discount to, to go chase them i think i'm gonna wait all
1: right coming up grab your overalls and plungers the world's favorite plumber scoring a big win over the weekend will bring you the block busting trades next plus the chart master joins us to dig into the industrials are these names heading for a breakout or a breakdown stick around that and much more when fast money returns Welcome back to Fast Money. It was lights, camera, rally for shares of Cinemark today as the Super Mario Brothers movie smashed records at the box office over the weekend. Julia Borson joins us now with an update from the box office. Julia.
11: Well, Melissa, this weekend's numbers showed that family moviegoers are back and forth, and it is very good news for those theater stocks. Super Mario Brothers was the number one movie worldwide with a $377 million global box office take. That's the biggest opening weekend ever for an animated title. And of course, it's a win for CNBC's parent company Comcast and its Illumination Studio, which spent an estimated $100 million to produce the film. Now, Cinemark, you see those shares um, shooting higher, near uh, about six and a half percent, reported that it had its highest single day of attendance since Christmas Day of 2019. And with John Wick and Dungeons and Dragons films holding up as well, this all bodes well for theaters going forward, as does the fact that Amazon, which released Ben Affleck's Air on 3,500 screens, plans to open at least 10 films theatrically Every year B Riley raising its price targets on Cinemark and IMAX on stronger than expected first quarter box office results, the highest first quarter box office since the pandemic B Riley forecasting a continued path towards pre pandemic revenue as well as profitability levels. Now the number of wide releases is set for 100 this year that's nearing 2019 levels and we're going to see the return of some big franchises such as Guardians of the Galaxy. Fast and Furious, and Mission Impossible. So all of these pieces, the number of films, the familiar names, they spell a continued rebound if audiences like the movies. Melissa.
1: All right, Julia, thanks. Julia Borston. So maybe the death of the movie theater was too early, was too overblown. Whatever they say about the death of the mall, which still hasn't happened, Tim.
4: Well, given all of the choices and all the entertainment at home and all the distractions, the fact that, you know, $377 over five days when the expectations were for about 150, it's great news for movie theaters. I mean, are you going out to buy movie theater stocks? Please don't. Um, I mean, I think this is a dynamic where um, I think you had pent up demand. I think you have a multi-generational appeal. I think you have some great collaborators, including our parent company. Uh, And and that's part of what's going on here. I mean, Super Mario, I mean, you you dress up as Super Mario for Halloween, Dan? Elon did.
3: (laughs) <laughs> he oh, did stage. on did snl you know, it always goes you back did. to the, I, you know he i, 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 I should have known that? better
4: you
1: knew that he was again
4: i, I, I should have known better <laughs> sorry. i'm sorry
1: i didn't know that mario was a plumber or some yeah. I, did, I had no idea guy i'm sure you did did you Why know
6: do you, i don't know <laughs>
1: <laughs> i don't know he like did. He did. he's like he's played there. it or his kids have played it or you know yeah
6: there are a number of different ways or places i can go with that i'll say this there should be more plumbers. If you try to get a plumber recently, you can't get those cats on the phone. I mean, they're doing extraordinarily well and as seen by this box office is ridiculous. I'm with Tim. I mean, Cinemark, the stock, has doubled since January from 8 to 16 and change. You do have a nice little double bottom going back from October of, I think, 2020. And you have to wonder how much is left. And maybe maybe the stock can sort of eke up to 20 bucks. But I don't know. Again, this speaks to a societal thing where... Who's going to, see, I mean, honestly, I mean, maybe it's just me. I, you couldn't pay me to go see Mario Brothers or sister for went that home. matter. You I mean, hardly leave
4: that basement. He's studying for the SAT, though. Yeah. It's, it's rigorous. It's a tough test, guy. Good luck.
3: I'll just say this: Netflix, yeah. really quick. This could be the, one of okay. the first tech stocks, uh, first media stocks, um, to report next week on the 18th. And interestingly, and we're getting to a point where we're going to start looking at out-year estimates and expectations for 25% earnings growth and 15% sales growth next year. Trading about 25 times that, it's like pretty reasonable. Up 15% of the year, I know it's up, you know, 100% off the lows. At least.
1: Coming up, an inside look at the industrials is a time to dig in to this trade. The Chart Master, Carter Worth, joins us next for just that. More fast money in two. Do not miss a CNBC, your money event tomorrow. Women and wealth. Hear from an amazing lineup of speakers on exploring ways that women can increase their income, save for the future, and make the most of opportunities. Register at CNBCevents.com. Meantime, shares of CAT clawing back some of its recent losses, leading the Dow higher today. Still, the industrials have been the S&P's worst performers over the past week, and the chartmaster thinks they're headed for an industrial-sized breakdown. Carter Wirth of Worth Charting joins us now. Carter, what are you looking at?
9: Yeah, I mean, obviously an important sector, not the biggest sector, fifth largest in the S&P at about 8.4 percent weight. Um, big names that everyone knows, of course, like Caterpillar and Raytheon and Ingersoll Rand. But uh, what we know is relative performance stalled almost. Uh, well, it stalled in 08, if you can believe this, uh, more than a decade ago. Let's look at a few charts and then try to figure out the immediate. You're looking at a two-panel, and that's an all-data chart, the beginning of GIC's classifications in 1989. And, of course, on the top, industrials have been going straight up. But they peaked in March of 2008 on a relative basis. In fact, it, just consider this. You're annualizing since then at 6.1% versus the S&P at 6.8. You could say, so what? But a million dollars in the industrials is 4.4 now. A million dollars in the S&P is 6.3. It matters over time. That's the beauty of compounding. The here and now charts are what's really important. XLI, the spider ETF, uh, we're we're toying with the prospects of breaking the uptrend line in effect since the October low. And if you look at some longer-term charts with different trend lines, and you'll see them here, the trend line that's in effect since the COVID low is really in play. We think we're headed down to it. That's about 8 9% from here. Uh, we don't like the group.
1: All right, Carter, thanks. Carter Braxton yep. Worth of Worth Charting. I mean, if you think there are bumps ahead for the economy, Courtney, or more bumps, I should say, ahead for the economy, then you probably, I mean, it fits the narrative, the charts.
5: It does. Um, But I think you can pick and choose within industrials what you like and don't like. Like um, I know Caterpillar has a lot of negativity right now, but I think on the flip side, I think there's actually a lot of positives about deer when you look in the agricultural space. Um, So I think what you want to do is you want to be strategic about where you're putting your money here right now. I don't think this is across the board by any means.
4: Defense stocks, to me, are, are very defensive in a market like this, and I, I, I would be gravitating towards you know, your LMTs, your Raytheons I, I think if you look at the uh, the story, as Carter said, the XLI had these two points where January kind of hit a peak, in March it had a peak, and again this is relative performance to the S and P it's already traded off relative to the S&P about 7.5% since March. So they have been weak. I think the, the headline that really hurt was that ISM number uh, last week. And I think, you know, they're all trading down. I don't think you need to chase them here.
1: Yeah, Guy, last week on Thursday, because it was a holiday shortened week, we had a chart of the week. Mm. And it was WEE, no, sorry, W-E-A-K. <laughs> That's what you get for waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning. W E A K K, and that was Caterpillar, because it was so weak yeah. last Bounced week. It's like down
6: 8%. Yeah, and look, it's stock people will point to it and say it's cheap on valuation, and it is cheap. Except it can get expensive very quick. And Tim's right to point out these ISM numbers, which have been a disaster. And I think you can overlay ISM and the lag effect cat the stock will have. And I think it seems to have a date with two hundred dollars in terms of the stock. I'll say this: you did yeoman's work this morning on the squawk box. Always proud to see you on that wine show, Melissa. A work. person to be, be gender yeah.
1: but I'll take the compliment. <laughs> Up next, final trades.
6: trade time guys birthdays don't rest on the weekend and yesterday nancy our floor director for over 10 years celebrated hers happy birthday nancy tim was in my head rtx raytheon i wish we had a camera on her
1: she's blushing tim
4: (laughs) nancy's the best happy birthday constellation brands reassuring numbers a pretty good guide for 24 and a very conservative play and a tough tape courtney
5: I'll also echo the happy birthday, Nancy. Um, But we've talked about energy earlier. I think the fundamentals continue to look strong. Yet it has underperformed the markets this year. I think Occidental is a good way of playing this. Dan?
3: I'm going to wait until next year to wish her a happy birthday. But XOY, I'd be a seller. Jerk till the
5: end.
1: (laughs) Happy birthday, Nancy. Thanks for watching Fast. Mad Money with Jim Craver starts right now.
10: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses,